Hey everybody, before we jump into our episode, I just wanted to provide some business that I need to attend to. First things first, do you write or know someone that writes short stories and would want to be featured in our season two of short stories? Send us a message on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or at swipewriteforsleeppodcast at gmail.com for more information. Also, we have a survey out there regarding the future of this podcast, and every answer is appreciated. So please go to www.surveymonkey.com forward slash r forward slash 3j5 frbj and this will also be posted on our web page in the blog portion if you would like to go to it to answer some questions regarding the future anyway thank you so much for your time and we'll get on to the episode This is Swipe Right for Sleep with Adriana. Hello, and welcome back to Swipe Right for Sleep. Tonight you get a little bit more of a raspy voice as my allergies have kicked in, so I appreciate it if you will just bear with me tonight. Tonight's sleep facts are surrounding how meditation can treat insomnia, and these facts are from sleepfoundation.org. After this episode, I will link you to some great resources for meditation on the blog located on our website, www.swiperightforsleep.com. Let me start off by saying, I am not a doctor but I do get my information from credible sources and scholarly articles. I am just a girl who couldn't sleep one night and decided that more people needed a place to listen to something to fall asleep to like I did. Insomnia is at the roots of your sleepless nights, and meditation might just be the cure in addition to listening to this podcast, of course. Meditation is a deep relaxation technique that has been shown to increase sleep time improve sleep quality, and make it easier to fall and stay asleep. Personally, I love trying meditation. It doesn't require a gong or a classroom, while both are great options. There are apps, podcasts, and videos that can help you too. Some people call it guided relaxation. I personally love to use the Calm app to help me meditate before bed. Here are some facts about the practice that may help you feel better about trying it. Number one, meditation is safe. It is a great tool for those looking for an all-natural, medication-free way to treat insomnia. Medication has been shown to help reduce the use of sleeping pills. The practice likely improves insomnia symptoms by reducing measures of arousal in the brain. It can be used with other sleep techniques like cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. With mindfulness meditation, it has been shown to improve sleep better than CBTI alone. There are multiple health benefits. Not only can meditation improve your sleep quality, but it may also help reduce blood pressure and ease pain, anxiety, and depression. And the last fact is that it is easy. Meditation is an accessible, 
budget-friendly practice that everyone can try. Insomnia sufferers of different ages respond well to the practice, including older adults. Though you can pay for meditative classes and books that teach you the practice, you can also search online for free apps and YouTube videos if you would like to try it out before you spend money on it. And like I said, I will provide some resources for you in the blog after you listen to this episode. So before we go to our sleep story, let us try a little bit of meditation to see if it can help relax you. Find a comfortable place to sit or lie down. Close your eyes. Breathe in deeply through your nose. Exhale out through your mouth. Repeat this a few times. Breathe in. Exhale. Breathe in. Exhale. Keep following this breathing pattern. If your mind starts to wander, simply bring your attention back to your breath. We will do this same exercise for another 30 seconds. Breathe in. Exhale. Breathe in. Exhale. Now that you have done a little bit of meditation, think about how that made you feel. If you are asleep enough, you are welcome to turn off the podcast for the night. But if you would stay, I do have a short story for you to finish falling asleep to. So if you're going to bed early, good night, dreamer, and tomorrow you will wake up to a blog post about all the different ways you can meditate for inexpensive cost. But if you will stay with me, I would like to read tonight's story, which is The Necklace. The girl was one of those pretty and charming young creatures who sometimes are born as if by a slip of fate into a family of clerks. She had no dowry, no expectations, no way of being known, understood, loved, married by any rich and distinguished man. So, she let herself be married to a little clerk of the Ministry of Public Instruction. She dressed plainly because she could not dress well, but she was unhappy as if she had really fallen from a higher station, since with women there is neither case nor rank for beauty, grace, and charm take the place of family and birth. Natural ingenuity, instinct for what is elegant, a supple mind are their sole hierarchy, and often make of a woman of the people the equals of the very greatest ideas. Mathilde suffered ceaselessly, feeling herself born to enjoy all delicacies and all luxuries. She was distressed at the poverty of her dwelling, at the bareness of the walls, at the shabby chairs, the ugliness of the curtains. 
All those things, of which another woman of her rank would never have been conscious, tortured her and made her angry. The sight of the little Breton peasant who did her humble housework aroused in her despairing regrets and bewildering dreams. She thought of silent antechambers hung with oriental tapestry, illuminated by tall bronze candelabra, and of two great footmen in knee breeches who sleep in the big armchairs, made drowsy by the oppressive heat of the stove. She thought of long reception halls hung with ancient silk, of the dainty cabinets containing priceless curiosities, and of the little coquettish perfumed reception rooms made for chatting at five o'clock with intimate friends, with men famous and sought after, whom all women envied, and whose attention they all desire. When she sat down to dinner, before the round table covered with a tablecloth in use three days, opposite her husband, who uncovered the soup tureen and declared with a delighted air, Ah, the good soup! I don't know anything better than that. She thought of dainty dinners, of shining silverware, of tapestry that peopled the walls with ancient personages and with strange birds flying in the midst of a fairy forest, and she thought of delicious dishes served on marvelous plates and of the whispered gallantries to which you listen with sphinx-like smile while you are eating the pink meat of a trout or the wings of a quail. She had no gowns, no jewels, nothing, and she loved nothing but that. She felt made for that. She would have liked so much to please, to be envied, to be charming, to be sought after. She had a friend, a former schoolmate at the covent, who was rich and whom she did not like to go to see anymore because she felt so sad when she came home. But one evening, her husband reached home with a triumphant air and holding a large envelope in his hand. There, he said, there is something for you. She tore the paper quickly and drew out a printed card which bore these words. The Minister of Public Instruction and Madame Georges Rampineau request the honor of M. and Madame Lossel's company at the Palace of the Ministry on Monday evening, January 18th. Instead of being delighted, as her husband had hoped, she threw the invitation on the table crossly, muttering, What do you wish me to do with that? Why, my dear, I thought you would be glad. You never go out, and this is such a fine opportunity. I had great trouble to get it. Everyone wants to go. It is very select, and they are not giving many invitations to clerks. The whole official world will be there. She looked at him with an irritated glance and said impatiently, And what do you wish me to put on my back? He had not thought of that. He stammered, What? Why, the gown you go to the theater in, it looks very well to me. He stopped, distracted, seeing that his wife was weeping. Two great tears ran slowly from the corner of her eyes toward the corners of her mouth. What's the matter? What's the matter? He answered. By a violent effort, she conquered her grief and replied in a calm voice while she wiped her wet cheeks. Nothing, only I have no gown, and... Therefore, I cannot go to this ball. Give your card to some colleague whose wife is better equipped than I. He was in despair. He resumed. Come, let us see, Mathilde. How much would it cost a suitable gown, which you could use on other occasions? Something very simple? 
She reflected several seconds, making her calculations and wondering also what sum she could ask without drying on herself an immediate refusal and a frightened exclamation from the economical clerk. Finally, she replied hesitating, I don't know exactly, but I think I could manage it with 400 francs. He grew a little pale, because he was laying aside just that amount to buy a gun and treat himself to a little shooting next summer on the plain of Nantierre with several friends who went to shoot larks there on a Sunday. But he said, Very well, I will give you 400 francs and try to have a pretty gown. The day of the ball drew near, and Madame Lucille seemed sad, uneasy, anxious. Her frock was ready, however. Her husband said to her one evening, What's the matter? Come, you have seemed very queer these last three days. And she answered, It annoys me not to have a single piece of jewelry, not a single ornament, nothing to put on. I shall look poverty-stricken. I would almost rather not go at all. You might wear natural flowers, said her husband. They're very stylish at this time of year. For ten francs you can go get two or three magnificent roses. She was not convinced. No, there's nothing more humiliating than to look poor among other women who are rich. How stupid are you? her husband cried. Go look up your friend, Madame Forestier, and ask her to lend you some jewels. You're intimate enough with her to do that. She uttered a cry of joy. True, I never thought of it. The next day she went to her friend and told her of her distress. Madame Forestier went to a wardrobe with a mirror, took out a large jewel box, brought it back, opened it, and said to Madame Lucille, Choose, my dear. She saw first some bracelets, then a pearl necklace, then a Venetian gold cross set with precious stones of admirable workmanship. She tried on the ornaments before the mirror, hesitated, and could not make up her mind to part with them, to give them back. She kept asking, Haven't you any more? Why, yes. Look further. I don't know what you would like. Suddenly, she discovered, in a small black box, a superb diamond necklace, and her heart throbbed with an immoderate desire. Her hands trembled as she took it. She fastened it round her throat, outside her high-necked waist, and was lost in ecstasy at her reflection in the mirror. Then she asked, hesitating, filled with anxious doubt, Will you lend me this? Only this? Why, yes, certainly. She threw her arms round her friend's neck, kissed her passionately, then fled with her treasure. The night of the ball arrived. Madame Lucille was a great success. She was prettier than any other woman present, elegant, graceful, smiling, and wild with joy. All the men looked at her, asked her name, sought to be introduced. All the attaches of the cabinet wished to waltz with her. She was remarked by the minister himself. She danced with rapture, with passion, intoxicated by pleasure, forgetting all in the triumph of her beauty, in the glory of her success, in a sort of cloud of happiness comprised of all this homage, admiration. These awakened desires and of that sense of triumph which is so sweet to women's heart. 
She left the ball about four o'clock in the morning. Her husband had been sleeping since midnight in a little deserted anteroom with three other gentlemen whose wives were enjoying the ball. He threw over her shoulders the wraps he had brought, the modest wraps of common life, the poverty of which contrasted with the elegance of the ball dress. She felt this and wished to escape so as not to be remarked by the other women, who were enveloping themselves in costly furs. Loiselle held her back, saying, "'Wait a bit. You will catch a cold outside. I will call a cab.' But she did not listen to him and rapidly descended the stairs. When they reached the street, they could not find a carriage and began to look for one, shouting after the cabman, passing at a distance. They went toward the scene in despair, shivering with cold. At last they found on the quay one of those ancient nightcabs which, as though they were ashamed to show their shabbiness during the day, are never seen round Paris until after dark. It took them to their dwelling in the Rue des Martyrs, and sadly they mounted the stairs to their flat. All was ended for her. As to him, he reflected that he must be at the ministry at ten o'clock that morning. She removed her wraps before the glass so as to see herself once more in all her glory, but suddenly she uttered a cry. She no longer had the necklace around her neck. "'What is the matter with you?' demanded her husband, already half-undressed. She turned distractedly towards him. "'I have... I have... I've lost Madame Forster's necklace,' she said. He stood up, bewildered. "'What? How?' impossible they looked among the folds of her skirt of her cloak in the pockets everywhere but did not find it you're sure you had it on when you left the ball he asked yes i felt it in the vestibule of the minister's house but if you lost it in the street we should have heard it fall it must be in the cab yes probably did you take his number no and you didn't notice it no they looked thunderstruck at each other. At last, Lucille put on his clothes. "'I shall go back on foot,' said he, "'over the whole route to see whether I can find it.' He went out. She sat waiting on a chair in her ball dress, without strength to go to bed, overwhelmed without any fire, without a thought. Her husband returned about seven o'clock. He had found nothing. He went to police headquarters, to the newspaper offices to offer a reward. He went to the cab companies, everywhere, in fact, whether he was urged by the least spark of hope. She waited all day, in the same condition of mad fear before this terrible calamity. Lucille returned at night with a hollow, pale face. He had discovered nothing. "'You must write to your friend,' said he, "'that you have broken the clasp of the necklace and that you are having it mended. That will give us time to turn round.' She wrote at his dictation. At the end of the week, they had lost all hope. Lausselle, who had aged five years, declared, We must consider how to replace that ornament. The next day, they took the box that had contained it and went to the jeweler, whose name was found within. He consulted his books. It was not I, madame, who sold that necklace. I must simply have furnished the case. Then they went from jeweler to jeweler, searching for a necklace like the other, trying to recall it, both sick with chargon and grief. They found, in a shop at the Palais Royal, a string of diamonds that seemed to them exactly like the one they had lost. It was worth 40,000 francs. They could have it for 36. So 
they begged the jeweler not to sell it for three days yet, and they made a bargain that he should buy it back for 34,000 francs in case they should find the lost necklace before the end of February. Losail possessed 18,000 francs which his father had left him. He would borrow the rest. He did borrow, asking a thousand francs of one, five hundred of another, five louis here, three louis there. He gave notes, took up extraneous obligations, dealt with usurers and all the race of lenders. He compromised all the rest of his life, risked signing a note without even knowing whether he could meet it, and frightened by the trouble yet to come, by the black misery that was about to fall upon him, by the prospect of all the physical privations and moral tortures that he was to suffer, he went to get the new necklace, laying upon the jeweler's counter thirty-six thousand francs. When Madame Lucille took back the necklace, Madame Forester said to her with a chilly manner, "'You should have returned it sooner. I might have needed it.' She did not open the case, as her friend had so much feared. If she had detected the substitution, what would she have thought? What would she have said? Would she have not taken Madame Lausselle for a thief? Thereafter, Madame Lausselle knew the horrible existence of the needy. She bore her part, however, with sudden heroism. That dreadful debt must be paid. She would pay it. They dismissed their servant. They changed their lodgings. They rented a garret under the roof. She came to know what heavy housework meant and the cares of the kitchen. She washed the dishes, using her dainty fingers and rosy nails on greasy pots and pans. She washed the soil linen, the shirt, and the dishcloths, which she dried upon a line. She carried the slops down the street every morning and carried up the water, stopping for breath at every landing. And dressed like a woman of the people, she went to the fruitier, the grocer, the butcher, a basket on her arm, bargaining, meeting with impertinence, defending her miserable money. Every month they had to meet some notes, renew others, obtain more time. Her husband worked evenings, making up a tradesman's accounts, and late at night he often copied manuscripts for five sous a page. This life lasted ten years. At the end of ten years they had paid everything, everything, with the rates of usury and the accumulations of the compound interest. Madame Lucille looked old now. She had become the woman of impoverished households, strong, hard, and rough. With frowsy hair, skirts askew, and red hands, she talked loud while washing the floor with great swishes of water. But sometimes, when her husband was at the office, she sat down near the window and she thought of that gay evening of long ago, of the ball where she had been so beautiful and so admired. What would have happened if she not had lost the necklace? Who knows? Who knows? How strange and changeful is life! How small a thing is needed to make or ruin us! But one Sunday, having gone to take a walk in the Champs-Élysées to refresh herself after the labors of the week, she suddenly perceived a woman who was leading a child. It was Madame Forestier, still young, still beautiful, still charming. Madame Lucille felt moved. Should she speak to her? Yes, certainly. And now that she had paid, she would tell her all about it. Why not? She went up. The other, astonished to be addressed by this plain good wife, did not recognize her at all and stammered, "'But, madame, I do not know you. You must have mistaken. No, no, I am Mathilde Lucille.' Her friend uttered a cry. 
Oh, my poor Mathilde, how you are changed. Yes, I have had a pretty hard life since I last saw you, and great poverty, and that because of you. Of me? How so? Do you remember that diamond necklace you lent me to wear at the ministerial ball? Yes. Well? Well, I lost it. What do you mean you brought it back? I brought you back another exactly like it, and it has taken us ten years to pay for it. You can understand that it was not easy for us, for us who had nothing. At least it is ended, and I am very glad. Madame Forstier had stopped. You say you bought a necklace of diamonds to replace mine? Yes. You never noticed it then? They were very similar. And she smiled with a joy that was at once proud and ingenuous. Madame Forstier, deeply moved, took her hands. Oh, my poor Mathilde. Why, my necklace was paste. It was worth at most only 500 francs. As we end this episode, and before we get to the end credits... I just want to thank you for putting up with me for reading that story. A lot of the words were French names, and French is definitely not a language I know. So I apologize if I screwed up any pronunciations or if I didn't say words correctly. But thank you for listening. Hey there, Dreamer. Are you still with me? Well, if you are, I hope you enjoyed that story. Follow us on our social media accounts. Twitter, swipe for, the number four, sleep, and Instagram at swipe right for sleep podcast. Visit our website, www.swiperightforsleep.com, and read our blog where I will post articles about the different sleep facts. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, drop us a line on our social medias, website, or email us at swiperightforsleeppodcast at gmail.com. Want more? Listen to our previous season and look for more content coming soon. When you wake up, don't forget to rate us wherever you listen. This podcast could not run without our listeners. Good night, dreamers.